Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, ladies and gents, no, you're listening to the right show. You're <laughs> listening to Grilling with JR. JR is here, but I'm stepping in for, uh, for Conrad Thompson. Conrad is just burning it at both ends and getting ready for Starcast. And I thought, man, what a great opportunity this will be for me to sit in with someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, well, who I you. got a chance to work for, work with, uh, and get to know over at least the last couple of decades. Yeah, the last couple of decades. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're getting Jim, old, buddy. Yeah, but I'm Jim looking Ross, forward to so this. I'm, I'm going to do a very inadequate job of sitting in for JR, but... Jim, because this is, you know, this is a cool topic. You know, this is you, your first really interactions with Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan coming to WWE. And there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be able to dig into. But, uh, man, I'm looking forward to doing this with you. This yeah, is me too. Be cool. Me too. I, and I look, I'm looking forward to doing this topic because, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I look at the, my relationship with Hogan as kind of a missed opportunity. I, I, could, I think I could have done a better job interacting with him, but. You know, he's one of those, he's one of those kind of, one of those legend guys that the one, the one common denominator, I think from guys in that generation and the guys that get to his level, which are very few was the fact that, uh, they don't trust a lot of people. That's just where they were brought up. Territories don't breed, you know, comfort or, uh, security, uh, a lot of lying going on as we both know. So I never got around to building that relationship with him. I tried to, to, but it just didn't seem like it ever went through. And so I just stepped back and, and tried to manage him the best I could. And uh, knowing that he had some insecurities and some back issues and all those type things. So uh, it should be a fun conversation. I just wish I had. Jim, let, let me ask you, Jim, though, before we go too much further, and I want to, I don't want to get past this because you point out some really cool stuff there. Do you think that, I mean, look, I get it. You know, guys that came up during Hogan's era and, and particularly and even more so before Hogan, I mean, it was a dog eat dog world. The yeah. territory system was dog eat dog. It was promoter versus talent. Nobody trusted anybody. Everybody was trying to take your spot. Even people you thought were friends were really not your friends when it came to <laughs> the people that you worked with for the most part. So it was an inherently, you know, kind of a carnivorous environment. So that part I get, but do you think it might also, the awkwardness between you and Hulk might've also been the fact that 
prior to you coming to WWE and prior to Hulk leaving WWE, what was then F, Hulk had a very one-on-one direct relationship with Vince. Right. That would make it hard for you or anybody to really kind of get between he and Vince. Do you think that had something to do with it? Oh, absolutely. You know, when he left, he had a different arrangement. He talked to the top guy on a regular basis and they were buddies and they hung out and they worked out and they went out and all those type of things. And I never had those experiences with Hulk. Uh, the last thing he wants to do is see me in a gym. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I want to do, Eric is be there. So, uh, he used to work out with Brian knobs all the time, brother. Don't he, he doesn't care who he works out with. Wow. Well, <laughs> That puts you in an interesting category. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I was two, right there with Brian. <laughs> two fat white guys. Uh, but anyway, it, it was, uh, he's an interesting cat. He's an interesting character. And here's the deal. Bottom line is he was a product of his environment. Mm-hmm. The territory system bred a certain uh, distrust and so forth. And all he was was a product of that environment. And you and I have seen those guys come and go. That's the way it is. And, uh, so I, I think this is going to be a fun show to do, really do as we get rolling here. All right. So let me ask you before we let's just start from the beginning, man. When did when did Hulk Hogan show up on your radar screen? When did you first hear the name Hulk Hogan? See the guy on TV. Oh, that was during the big boom in the, in the 80s. Mr. T era, Piper, you know, Paul Orndorff, that big angle uh, was when I first heard about him. Uh, I'd seen pictures of him, was impressed, obviously. It's hard not to be impressed with his physique and his look and all those things. And uh, his success spoke volumes. So, uh, but that's when I heard about him. You know, he was tearing it up and he was drawing big money. And of course, even, even before then, the houses that he drew in, in AWA for Burn in your old area uh, was damned impressive. He was the guy who was selling the tickets and, and loading the wagon. You, I'm assuming, and I could be wrong. You're working for Watts during this period of time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Now, I, when I first went to work for Vern in 87, now this is after Hulk left Vern and jump ship, so to speak. That's the way it was presented to me. Walked out in the middle of the night, all that kind of stuff. Um, so everything I heard from Vern when I first stepped into the wrestling business was kind of like, anti-Hulk, anti-Hulk, not because he wasn't a draw, not because he wasn't, you know, a great, a great potential and a great performer, but because of their business shit. What was Watts's perception? And therefore, what did you hear from Watts about Hulk Hogan at this period of time? He was a big attraction guy. You know, uh, Watts had uh, this theory that guys like Andre, they were unique and special, had a unique look, a uh, unique skill set. Some of those guys were better off better use spar- sparingly and they kept their value. They maintained their value if they did. So he thought that, uh, you know, Hogan was that he thought Hogan was a special attraction guy. He saw on special occasions. If you did it that way and didn't overexpose him, uh, he's going to draw a house for you. So Bill didn't have any inherent. He's not a real wrestler. He doesn't, he never wrestled. Never, he's not an amateur. He never had any of that issue. I never heard that from him. You know, I never heard that from him. The, the proof was at the box office, you know, you can bitch about his, you know, athleticism or his, his he's not a shooter and all those, that bullshit. But I think uh, what really has turned Bill on, on that regard was the fact that, you know, Vern's territory was maligned at times, uh, and on this occasion, it was just the fact that, uh, you know, Hogan got over 
And Cowboy was always interested in what other territories did to get their guys over because there may be something he could pick up and use with JYD or some of his baby faces in Mid-South. And you look at this period of time, Vince McMahon, you know, Hulk spent a little time in WWF for Vince for a little while, went to Vern, ended up going back to WWF and Vince McMahon Jr. But by this time, Vince had already started, you know, he started expanding. He started chewing up territories and, and executing his vision. And now Hulk's there full time. How did, how did, what was your personal reaction? Not, as, as an employee of Bill Watts or, or somebody you worked with, but what was your perception of that transition from the territory period to the Hulk Hogan national expansion period? Well, everybody didn't get to get to jump on the train and ride along. It was uh, uh, challenging. It was a new era and w- without precedent. Uh, and, and basically, and some guys got to jump on the train and ride it to the next stop. And some guys uh, refused to uh, to board because they didn't want they they perceived any change in wrestling as negative. And uh, I don't do that. I know you don't do that. You get, we have to change and have to d- address our surroundings, our team, and our our companies. So uh, I, I just thought it was impressive as hell what he was doing and uh, what Vince is doing because it was bold. It's going to take great management. You know, you're now you're instead of managing a territory in the Northeast, uh, you're managing a territory that covers the world. And this uses a lot of the same techniques and same formulas, but it was still a daunting task to, uh, to go uh, to take that, that, that next step. And some of the good old boy network didn't make it. And therefore some of them were complaining, have complained over the years. And we've all heard it. That Vince killed the business and all this stuff. And it seemed like it happened more when he bought St. Louis because St. Louis was Sam Mustick was kind of held as a benchmark, I guess. And, uh, but in any event, we, we saw great change and I was lucky. I was in a territory that, uh, was enduring that this whole change Watts was hard headed and stubborn and certainly didn't want to, uh, uh, fold his hand. He wanted to play this thing out and thought we could be, still be competitive. Uh, with the other territory, no matter how the thing shaked out, you give a good product on a regular basis, uh, a good TV writing that makes logical sense, and you got a shot. A lot of similar similarities, I think, between Bill Watts and Vern Gagne and respect. You know, it's like well, Vern, Vern was a mentor to Cowboy. You know, Cowboy worked in the AWA way back in the day, and and uh, and Cowboy had great respect for Vern because Vern was a shooter. All those guys stick together. And, uh, but Bill worked as a young wrestler, uh, for burn. And I think that relationship kind of, it maintained itself until uh, much longer after the, the burn and cowboy went out of business. It's hard to believe this is that two guys that smart, Eric, that didn't see the writing on the wall. Well, the one thing that you and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've never listened to too many of my podcasts and I don't get a chance to listen to a lot of years, but I think, one of the things that we probably both say in our respective podcasts, whenever in your case, Bill Watts comes up or in my case, Rangani comes up is they were both stubborn sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could not get and And I think even Vince McMahon, that's what, you know, somebody asked me once, what, is there any similarity between Rangani and Vince McMahon? And the only one that I could think of is they're both stubborn as hell. Yeah. And, and Watts was right in there with them, you know, 
they, they um, were. Did you have any interaction with Hulk? Obviously, before you ended up in WWF, but did you have? Did you ever cross paths with him at all? No, I didn't. That was one of the other issues. It's kind of strange. You know, I crossed paths with so many people in my various roles over the years. He was not one of them. So when I met him for the first time, and he was, he came to WWF, WWE, whatever at that time. My deal was just to treat him respectfully and and try to try to develop some sort of communication with him that he trusted. And so I didn't ever get close to the line where, well, that, that I told him this, but really it ain't going to happen. I didn't do that. I did. If I didn't know, then I'd say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I tried to start from scratch to build a relationship with him, but he was in a unique place too, because he knew that his great money earning days were still were kind of temporary because of his health. And I say his health, I mean, his multiple back surgeries. Mm -hmm. I said this the other day on one of our shows that if you're a pro wrestler and you got a bad back, you got to, you got issues. Cause so many things that they do ends with a flat back bump, you know, not just a backdrop or an arm drag or whatever they, they, everything ends there. So if your bad back is bad, uh, you're going to be challenged to have good matches. And, and, and of course I, the best example was when Hogan wrestled Kurt angle. Uh, and everybody thought that was a crazy booking because they were so, uh, different. And, you know, Kurt was the, sh the shooter, the amateur, great Olympian gold medalist. And, Ho and Hogan was far, the farthest from that. He was a pro wrestler tried and true. So how are they going to coexist? Well, Kurt made that happen. Uh, and Hogan made that happen by changing his style and having a different kind of match that Hogan eventually lost. Uh, by this, by uh, submission. Submission. You know, it's interesting, Jim. I don't mean to jump your brother, but I get excited about this stuff. I was just reading the other day on Kurt Angle's show. He talked about um, the time when, when Vince decided, okay, we're going to do Hogan versus Kurt Angle. And Vince wanted Kurt to win by submission. And Vince was like hell bent on trying to get these two together face to face in, in, in Kurt's words, not mine. But in Kurt's words, uh, Vince was a little afraid that he'd give in to Hogan and Hogan would talk him out of the finish if, if he didn't have somebody else in the room with him. So he brought Vince. And again, this is Kurt now, and I'm paraphrasing it. So if I get something wrong, fuck you, anybody who could have a bitch about it, I could care less. But it's it, Vince got Kurt and and Hulk together in a room and Kurt pull, or Vince pulled Kurt off the side and said, I want you to get right in his face. I want you to go nose to nose with him. I want you to tell him how this finish is going to be trying to get Kurt to intimidate bit Hogan. And Kurt said, well, I, I, I respect him. I don't need to do that or whatever. And Vince laid out the finish and Hulk looked at Kurt, gave him a thumbs up and off they went. They did business. So interesting little Kurt Angle backstory to that one there. Yeah, and people people will be challenged to believe it that Hogan went along with it so easily, but it made sense. Uh, we told a good story there. I thought uh, broadcasting it is clear as you know. It was an easy story to tell, and uh, easy enough to tell. And, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to take you back to one that might not have been quite so easy to tell. Yeah, like. This one might have been pulling your own teeth <laughs> while you're trying to wash your hair. Your yeah. first night in the WWF is at the March 9th, 1993 TV tapings in Augusta, Georgia. And this is like the first time you met Hogan, right? In person. Do you recall? I don't know if I even met him down. I met Vince down there for the first time in person. And we had a three hour meeting while TV was on, was ongoing. 
And when we left, I had a job uh, in Stanford, moving to Stanford. So that was a little bit of a tricky deal. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, and then, I'm hey, I lived there so many times, I kind of get used to it. Off and on, off and on. Uh, so I was a very active renter in, the, in, in Connecticut, unfortunately. But right, well, you, you you may not remember having you, you may not remember having met Hulk that night, but you did call a match. He and Brutus Beefcake defeated the Beverly, Beverly Brothers that night. You did the voiceovers with Bobby Heenan for a WWF uh, Coliseum video release. Let's take a look at that. I got one question and I know you're not going to know the answer to this, Jim. There's no way you could possibly know the answer to this because this is your first night on the job in WWF. You're brand new. You haven't met Hulk Hogan. Right. I know that feeling, man. You're kind of a fish out of the water. You know, the business, you know, the industry, you're confident in your skills, but you're in a brand new environment. But the first question I would have asked is like, who the fuck decided that Brutus, the barber beefcake should be wearing pom poms. On his hands. <laughs> that was the singularly most stupid looking shit I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Really a little hokey, a little hokey. Really? You know, he was just trying to keep up with Hulk. Hulk's charisma was natural. 
Beefcake had to manufacture his. And as we saw, it, it didn't. He sucked didn't, at that. He, it didn't, yeah, he didn't go. It didn't do so well. You know what? So well. And I, I know I shouldn't be like this, right? Because I try every day I get up. I try. I try. And I'm not saying this to be funnier. <laughs> get myself over, but I try to be a better person every day. Cause I know I got a lot of ground to cover. I've only got so much time left on the clock. It is what it is. I'm 67 years old. I'm only going to be here for a certain amount of time. And I want to do the best I can at being a better person. And I try not to be critical of other people or judgmental of other people. But when it comes to Brutus the Barber Beefcake, I am challenged as a person. I am challenged <laughs> in, in, in terms of my goal of being a better person because it's very difficult for me to find anything positive to say about him. Other than professionally speaking, I think he's probably one of the most professional suck-ups and ass-kissers I've ever met in my life. It's as good as it gets. Yeah, he what picked his think? spots. Well, you know, he, he picked his friends well, and I'll say that for him. You know, to be, to be the riding partner, the ride, ride or die guy with Hogan, wasn't a bad thing, uh, for, for beefcake, I guess. No, he got and he made a career cards. out of, he made, he made a career out of beating Mooch. I guess yeah, he, he was, he was Hogan's. Yeah. I guess it, it, it helps when you ride with somebody that's, uh, that's uh, got that much influence and Hogan did have that much influence. Simple as that he went to Vince that I want to do something with, I want to do some tags it'll be easier on me and the bitch would say, well, who do you want to work with? Well, I want to work with beefcake because he knew beefcake was harmless. He was harmless. I was, on, the, rec I was I on the receiving end of the same conversations, man. I didn't want to hire Brutus. That's right. the last thing they, you know, it, it was, a, it was a Hulk Hogan tax. There were certain taxes you had to pay. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to hire right. Hulk Hogan, you're going to negotiate his salary or his fee, and then you're going to negotiate the taxes that you have to pay along with it. All right. There's, yeah. there's a, yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a little bit of a add on tax, shall we say. And, uh, you had to pay it or you didn't have Hogan. It kind of the way I looked at it. And you know what, Jim, as much as the executive side of me and even the creative side of me wasn't excited about Brutus at all. Like, like truth be told, I just, it just, it was like throwing up in my mouth in a way. Uh oh, yeah. Um, Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. But I, I kind of admired Hulk in a sense and still do because He's very loyal. He's loyal almost. Sometimes he's loyal to people he shouldn't be loyal to. And I learned that years later, of course. But for better or worse, you know, whatever, whatever relationship Hulk and Brutus had, Hulk always tried to take care of him. And not just Brutus. There were others as well. There were others as well. And to agree, I may have been one of them, you know, when it came to TNA. TNA right. wanted to bring Hulk Hogan in. Hulk, wouldn't, Hulk Hogan wouldn't go in unless he brought Eric Bischoff. I, I, I joke about it all the time. I got Jimmy Harded into TNA. I didn't want to be there. I got Jimmy Harded into there. So as, as much as it was a pain in the ass to have to deal with guys like Brutus because of Hulk and pay that tax, 
I kind of admire the guy for just look, here's the deal. If you want me, yeah, I'm yeah. loyal to my friends. You're going to have to be loyal to them too. Yeah. That's a great trait. And, 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 and a, uh, a passing trait. It's not, it's not, it's not that way for everybody. And uh, a lot of talents are so insecure that they, they're afraid to bring along their tax, their baggage, not Hulk. He knew exactly his worth and his value and he had leverage. And it is all that boiled down to was getting one of his buddies, a gig, uh, or two or three buddies, a gig, then that's what he was going to do. So, and you know, it. uh, Vince knows it. I, I didn't have that issue when it came to us, uh, this, the first time because he was, uh, just kind of getting back in the family, shall we say? Yeah. And it, it, it was a little slower process than he was accustomed to, but look, he still had access to McMahon. Uh, he just didn't have the access to McMahon that he had prior to. It wasn't wide open where the door was always open. Now Vince may say the door is always open, but we both know that, uh, the door's open when he says it's open. And I think, uh, Terry Hogan had to, had to, had to understand that and adjust to it. And it wasn't an easy adjustment. No, I get it. I get it. And especially knowing him because I, and I know this is going to sound really weird to people that don't know Hulk well, but that probably in a way, this sounds so cornball, but hurt his feelings. Cause I think Hulk went back yeah. there you know, with an anticipation of a relationship that used to exist and things had changed. The business had changed. Vince had changed. Yeah. And a lot of the influential guys of Eric around Vince wrestlers I'm talking about, uh, they were not a Hogan fans because they knew that automatically when he got booked back into the territory, that he would be a player and he would be taking somebody's spots. He'd be in some main events. He'd be key. He'd have, he'd get key TV time. And, uh, and a lot of the talents in would put a bug in the advances here. He's old. He's broken it down. Mm. His back is bad. He can hardly get up and down, blah, blah, blah. And they talked against Hogan of events saw money there, but, he, but not on the same terms that it once was, but he still thought there was value there. And so did I, quite frankly, I mean, he's Hulk Hogan for God's sakes. It's, that's a big deal to me. And it was a big deal to Vince. The Vince just wanted to make sure that he was, he had to please both sides of the aisle, the young talents, the triple H's and guys like that, that wanted to be on their own unencumbered and all that stuff. Uh, those guys are very vocal. They didn't want to lose their spot, but they didn't realize that you could still have a good match with Hogan. Kurt Angle had a great match with Hogan as, as limited as Terry was. He had a great match with, with, uh, with Kurt. And so I, I, th- I think that, uh, it was a, just a, it was just a tough train. It was, a transition that nobody foresaw. And I think you're right. I think Terry probably felt a little bit, you know, backburnered a little bit. He was kind of taken for granted and Hey, you're here. You got a job, shut up and wrestle. And that's not the way Hogan works. No. And it's not the way he left. And that's, that's the, the tough part of coming back. Right. Yep. Things are always a little bit rules are different. Environment's different. So a couple of weeks after you called your first match with uh, Hulk Hogan and the Beverly brothers, by the way, I, I came up in the business. I, I was introduced into wrestling in 1987 with Vern and the Beverly brothers, I think popped their cherry about the same week I did and, and <laughs> went to work for Vern. So it's really cool seeing them, you know, work together, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. Um, yeah, they did a good job of making Hogan put the shine on the baby faces, uh, you know, quite frankly. So they, they, they did their role in that match, but, but that's what you found it with everybody with Hogan. 
there's a lot of guys who grew up idolizing him. Now are getting the chance to work with him and a chance to make him look good. It's right. this 11th hour type thing. And they look forward to it. Yeah. I think the Beverly brothers are right there as at the top of the list. They were Hogan fans and Hogan friends, and they certainly work like it, which is good. Yeah. I mean, to go from working for Vern Gagne at that time in 1987, 88, 89, when I was there with the Beverly brothers or then Wayne and, and Mike, um, yeah, they're probably making a buck 75 a week, you know? So $175 a week, by the way. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so yeah, making, making the move to WWE and having a chance to work with one of the biggest names in the business was probably, you know, they may not say it the same way today, but probably the highlight of their career in some respects. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. They probably made more money during that. You know, they used to say, uh, Heenan told me this, uh, along with others that were there, tenured monsoon. Was that back in the day when they were having running house shows two or three a night and Hogan was booked. That's the first thing the guys looked at. They didn't look to find out what town they were in. They looked to find out what town Hogan was in. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they were on Hogan's card at the house shows, the live events, uh, they're happy. And I think that's, uh, it speaks well for Hogan. Everybody would rather be, they didn't care where they were. They weren't worried about their booking and what town they were going to be in. They just want to be on the same card with Hogan because they knew more than likely it was going to draw. So let's talk about one of those next cards shortly after this match in on March 9th. Um, Hogan defeats Yokozuna shortly after Yokozuna defeated Bret Hart. Were you uh, privy to all that? Did you know what was going on before the night of that match? Or did you Yeah, it, it was, a, it was a, kind of a political nightmare. You had different parties lobbying for different things. Uh, and to beat Yokozuna at that time was a little bit of a risk because we didn't know how well his character was going to withstand a loss to the returning Hulk Hogan. Uh, but it, 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 it was, I thought it was kind of cool booking and it, it re certainly reinvigorated Hogan. It showed that Yokozuna was human. They did a little crazy finish and, uh, so it wasn't like he got guzzled or eaten alive. So, uh, but it was very political. There was a side, you know, Yoko had a lot of, a lot of followers in within the company, a lot of relatives, a lot of friends. Uh, he was very likable. So he's getting his big break. And now the old man's coming back and taking it away from him. So there was a little bit of political, I don't want to say upheaval. That's over dramatic, but it was the most popular move within the, within the boys. So I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you here. Okay. <laughs> and I always fail at these tests. So don't feel any pressure. Cause I, I, I I'm, a, I'm horrible at the kind of question I'm going to ask you, but you know, one of the first interviews that I did, I think it was on ESPN for Vern was with Yokozuna before oh. he was Yokozuna. Do you right. remember his name in AWA before Yoko was Yoko? Um, yeah, I did. Until you asked me, uh, you'll know uh, as soon as I tell Coquina Maximus. Coquina Maximus. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Coquina. Coquina Maximus. But Rodney Yoko was such a likable guy and guys were so happy that he got his break and he was a top heel in the territory. Uh, with his gimmick, he was very, very, uh, marketable and, and different. Uh, his size, his nationality, and how he was positioned was all unique. And so for Hogan to come in and, and destroy the guy that's seemingly unbeaten, unbeatable, uh, was, uh, 
was how it was. And it was certainly drove a, a little bit of a wedge between Hulk and some of the other guys. Not that Hogan had not been in that same position on many occasions. It didn't break him. It didn't slow him down. Uh, I don't know if it even affected him whatsoever, but uh, there was some pushback there with that whole deal. A lot of meetings, a lot of changes. And so I just kind of waited until the end of the day or the last minute and said, okay, now what are we going to do? Because it's, it's, it's ever changing. And uh, that's just, you know, I, I've always prided myself in being able to call whatever I see on the monitor. So I figured, well, you know, I'm not going to have a hand in the final final on this creative, whether I like their, what they're doing or they, I don't, but I'm going to be prepared to call the match. So you put the, put the goddamn match on the, on the monitor. I can call that. I can, if I could see it, I can give you a match. I can, I can do, do that work. So, uh, that's kind of where I got to myself. Let me get, let me compartmentalize this back to my little area that I can control and go from there. It's a memorable call. Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna. Let's, uh, let's go back and listen to how you compartmentalized it. All right. His friend we did, Hart. We need one more second. We will put on the new WWF and we go. He's right, right now. He says, you come Fuji again. says, he right now. put the WWF title on the line right now. Come on. Let's go. Let it go. Let's do it. Come on. Mr. Fuji has said that they will put the WWF title on the line right now. This is a event yeah and if you notice in this footage that we've been watching if you happen to be watching along with us here on adfreeshows.com hogan's got a big old black eye yes he does he had, he and brutus had been out on jet skis and maybe maybe i got the story wrong maybe you you heard it differently but they had been out on jet skis and a pretty serious jet ski accident uh brutus had a massive amount of of damage to the to the head and the face required Tons of stitches and staples and reconstructive surgery. And, right. And that's where, if and here's another little piece of wrestling trivia for those of you who love this kind of crazy shit. I can't believe that I remember it because I've been out of my prevagen now for about a month and a half. <laughs> but this this is where, um, oh, gosh, I can't believe it was Ellis Edwards, yeah. who was kind of a quasi stunt man. Right. And Hogan had, I think, been introduced with him uh, doing doing his show, uh, Thunder, whatever it was, Thunder in Paradise. Yeah. And Ellis happened to be out on jet skis with Hulk and uh, 
and Brutus and pretty serious accident. It was Ellis that actually probably saved Brutus's life. Wow. Uh, at that point. And then Ellis became one of those people that Hulk Hogan became very loyal <laughs> to, which is why I ended up having, not having to hire, because Ellis did a lot for us. Yeah. I would have never hired him otherwise. And then Ellis went on to have another 20 or some 25 year career WWE as a result, all as a result of an accident that happened right before the match that you called back in 1993. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I never got the whole story on that deal. Cause there's, there were so many stories floating around what happened, what didn't happen. Oh, there was a fight, you know, Oh, that's uh, dramatic. And there was a fight and they don't want to talk about it. Uh, so I never really knew the whole story of that deal. Other than those guys dodged a bullet and their faces, you know, showed that Hogan. I remember seeing Hogan at WrestleMania nine, which is where this event was in Las Vegas, Caesar's palace. And his black eye was a lot worse than even it was there. So he was, he looked rough, man. He really did look rough, but the show must go on. And Vince is going to go come hell or high water, no matter what Hogan looked like. Uh, cause the, the black eye kind of fit the motif of a pro wrestler that can happen. It can happen for real. You and I, right, both I, I, I want to ask you a serious question about this particular time. Actually, this particular event, I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time. And, and you and I, you know, we've got, we, we, we've had an interesting, you know, relationship over the decades. Yeah. Um, and, and now we're at that point where I think I can ask you a question like I'm about to, without yeah. you being offended no, you or can't. upset. Nope. So how fucked up was it to have to wear that? Like Caesar's robe. Oh, that toga, the toga, like yeah, the to well, yeah, it drove me nuts. And it, you know, we had to have a dress rehearsal and that was a, an adventure. Uh, I never wore toga. I didn't know how you, what do you do? Wear underwear? Do you not wear underwear? Just, you know, Heenan, Heenan Monsoon and I dressed in the same dressing room at, uh, at Caesar's palace, a little locker room type thing. The three of us, uh, Savage, of course, did his own thing. You know, he was by himself. He didn't, oh, somebody didn't trust anybody. Uh, that was him. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, to the nth degree, but nonetheless, uh, the, uh, the, the stories that went around was crazy. The, the toga McMahon asked me before the show that week, he said, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to work WrestleMania. Uh, it's a, uh, Caesar's palace type theme. That's where it's going to be held. So I'm going to have the announcers wear that sort of, uh, you know, the Fink will be in a costume savage, you know, Heenan, uh, Heenan's going to ride a, uh, elephant or something out to the ring. And we want you to, we want you to wear a, t a tux, a, a, a toga. If you are not willing to do it, no problem, which I knew was bullshit. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, uh, there's somebody, we'll get somebody else. And of course me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's Hey, if you're not willing to do it, no problem. We'll find somebody else. See you later. Bye. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, and, and by and, the way, you're new on the, you're new on the job. That's right. So I said, of course I'll do it. I don't care what I'm wearing. It's irrelevant to me. I said, you know, how many on cameras are going to have and what will, it, and will it, what will matter? What will it matter? I, I, I didn't have any problem doing it with a toga, but it was different. Heenan, I was going to tell the story. Heenan and Monsoon and I were dressing and Heenan was so adamant that I go commando <laughs> and, and not wear anything under the toga. And, and Heenan standing behind him, shaking his head, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Cause he's got a plan. He's going to expose your fat ass or something. I don't know how I was going to get upside down or how he was going to, but he was going to do something to, uh, to, uh, accentuate the fact that I was not wearing any underwear. 
And so luckily I took Monsoon's advice. I wore underwear. He knew I had underwear on. And so we didn't go through with the, uh, uh, the, the exposure, the Northern exposure, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but you know, what do you do? You know, you, 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 like you said, you do on the job, you know, I'm getting paid a decent buck. Uh, it's WrestleMania. My first, my debut at WrestleMania could start any better than that. So I'm thinking, what the hell? I'm, I'm a long way from fucking Oklahoma. So why not? <laughs> Let's go for it. I, I got to tell you, I, I love this story, but just knowing you or, or knowing the way you were in WCW, I just can't imagine somebody walking up to you and said, okay, Jim, this is what I want you to, we want you yeah. to wear a toga. But, but that someone was Vince McMahon. Yeah, but I, you, you had, the game. there had to be some colorful conversation. Oh, there on. were, there were. And I, and, and I shared those with Monsoon and, and Heenan, you know, uh, Monsoon had to wear the same shit. Heenan wore, wore something, uh, uh, topical. So, but it wasn't, I was so excited, Eric, about having a job. I get that. And WWE and continuing my career that I really, the, the toga didn't really put up too much of a blip on the screen. It really didn't. But uh, I know there are times in my life where it would have, but not then because I was new on the job. I wasn't going to commit suicide, uh, professional suicide by saying, no, I don't want to announce WrestleMania because I can't wear a toga. Are you shitting me? <laughs> no, I, I get, I, and I know because that's, you're kind of torn because deep down in your head and in your soul, you're like, no, this is fucking stupid. This is why should I be doing this? But the professional side of you, and I've been in the same situation, man. I, I took a fucking Bronco buster from May young or whoever it was. So come on, I get it. I get it. And, but it's, a, you know, the, the, the talent side of you has to go, wait a minute, I'm being paid to do the job. All right. That the director wants me to do. I'm, Bingo. I'm a paper. I'm an actor, an actress. I'm a performer. My job is to do the best I can with what I'm asked to do, not Correct. to pass judgment on it. And, right. but you, but it takes a couple minutes to get to that conversation. It does. So yeah. You got to get comfortable. Your... Conversation could be somewhat more awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, it was a little awkward, but again, you go back to the reality of the situation. Do you want to disappoint your boss on the first assignment, his biggest event of the year that he's trusting you to broadcast or, yeah. and because you don't want to do it because of your attire. That didn't seem like a good enough reason to me to put my job in jeopardy. Well, shortly after this, Hogan makes a couple of random appearances. Not too many. does a couple uh, non-televised events. And then shortly after this loses the title back to Yokozuna, another memorable call from you and in this time a, uh, a so-called photographer's camera blows up in hogan's face let's take a quick look
Hogan of talk to you about Randy and, and working with him in commentary um, is this is, you know, for me, brother, this is about the time that I'm, I, th- I think by this point, I'm executive producer. We're scouting around. I think I've had conversations with Hulk about this time or slightly before this, but also looking at Randy Savage. How, did you, you know, Randy told me when he came to WCW, Randy told me, man, I just didn't want to be an announcer. Did you get that feeling working with him? Yeah. Yeah. He thought he still had a lot of, uh, gas left in the tank, uh, to be a top star. Yeah. Uh, he, he truly believed that. And, and there's nothing wrong with having that kind of confidence, but he, he thought that announcing was way beneath him and that he got it forced upon him in WWE. Uh, and so, you know, he, he just, he was not, he was never content was Randy. He was and I, he, I don't know how he, he lived. Did his, he take it out on you? Did it, was it harder for you to work with him? Cause yeah. just because he had a bad attitude about it. Yeah. I thought so. I thought he, I thought so. He, he just, he was always in a bad mood and he always, he looked at you like he, he knew you were lying to him at every, in every conversation. So he was that way 24 seven. It seemed to me like, and it got boorish. He's like, okay, here's another day working with Randy. And doing voiceovers with him was always a challenge because he always had a better way of doing it. So I just said, look, you, you, you call what you feel and how you see it. And I'll try to, I'll fit in somewhere around the, in this dialogue and I can make my part work. You just do your deal or you're happy. So you did, you do everything you can to make him happy. But, uh, sometimes it was futile, but I don't know why he was a, I know later in his life, he, he had gotten, Randy got remarried and he was allegedly a happy guy and he found a good mate, uh, a good woman. We both know that that's kind of important in our lives. We find out at different times. Uh, I, I sure was fortunate and I know you are too with your marriage. So hell, uh, but Randy was not happy about anything. Uh, he was the toughest guy I ever worked with without question. And then when you work with Heenan, who, who, who can work with anybody. Uh, and then Randy sits down, it, it, the game changed and it wasn't as much fun as it should have been. Did you have fun working with Bobby or was it tough? No, I, I love Bobby. I loved his, his unpredictability and, uh, he was just really, really good. And, and I liked him. He liked me. We rode together. You know, we had, we had, we had fun. We smoked a lot of weed together. <laughs> he liked that. that. That always calmed him down. And that may have been why he wanted to ride with me because I had the weed, uh, and I always had some, you know, I had a joint or two that he would enjoy. We, our code word was chocolate cake. So, uh, he'd say, redneck, you got any chocolate cake? I said, I do have some chocolate cake. So we'd take a, sometimes take a break, uh, in the voiceovers to go have lunch, even though the voiceovers were catered. 
So we'd go have, quote, unquote, wink, wink, have lunch, drive around, smoke the joint, come back and finish our voiceovers. <laughs> and the crew loved it because Heenan and I had, we had our, we had a one day that we would do three wrestling challenge shows in the studio, the voiceovers. And he was, uh, you know, Bobby was, could be very temperamental cause his neck. And I don't think, I don't think he, I think he fell out of love with wrestling a little bit kind of along those years. So, uh, but he had to be kind of taken care of. He had to be nursed a little bit. And the chocolate cake seemed to help him. Well, going back to this time, man, you've been in the company just a little bit, man, relatively short period of time. You've, you've called a match for Hulk Hogan, one of the biggest names. And at that point, the history of professional wrestling, and maybe right. still in some ways, arguably to this day, you know, if you, if you look at impact during certain eras and things like that, it's kind of a big damn deal. And now, uh, you, you called the match for him, you know, th that's basically going to lead to him leaving the company. That's kind of accomplishment pretty early on. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was the assignment I had, I received and I did the best I could with it. I tried to take care of Hogan on his way out. He had a good out with that, uh, a camera that the cameraman was, of course, uh, downtown Bruno Harvey Whippleman. Uh, that was his little role that day. Well, whose idea was that, by the way, man? Not to interrupt. You. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I want to say it might have been Pat Patterson's idea. Uh, might have been his idea, but somebody, Pat or Vince, came up with it, as I best I recall or remember. Pat must have been high that day because every time, every idea <laughs> I've ever heard out of Pat made sense to me, but having that goofy fucking photographer with a yeah. camera. Well, they're just oh. trying to find something to give Hogan an out, an excuse. And how do we do it that's unique? And that's what they came up with. Mm. Pat must have forgot his English French dictionary and confused <laughs> unique with stupid. <laughs> yeah, good, good, I, love, I love Pat. I do. I love Pat. He was a brilliant man, boy. I'll tell you, he was, he was a brilliant guy. And a lot of the top stars in the, in WWE now, uh, can all, a lot of them can look back on their careers and say that Patterson was an asset and Dwayne Johnson's one big time. Pat Patterson was huge in uh, rock's career and others, you know, Pat had a good line of communication with Austin. Uh, uh, all those guys. So he was a very a much a part of the success that we'd eventually have during the attitude era was Pat was helping those guys refine their game. And it was, uh, and he did a hell of a job doing it. You know, when I was, um, after I kind of moved on beyond executive producer and started getting involved with creative a little bit in 95 and then more in 96, People kept asking, man, who's the one person you'd love to get from WWE? And it wasn't Undertaker and it wasn't Shawn Michaels, no disrespect to them, but I knew that they weren't available anyway. They were both, well, first of all, I didn't want Shawn because he was a trip and I didn't want another trip to deal with. But Undertaker, I had heard from so many people, he was so loyal to Vince. There was no way it was ever going to happen. So I never right. even thought about Undertaker, but I, I coveted Pat Patterson. I wanted Pat so bad. Because historically, and you, 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 you have a different perspective on this maybe than I did, but WCW never had any, no disrespect to Dusty or anybody else. I love Dusty. I really did. He was kind of a mentor to me in some respects. But when it came to finishes, man, WCW's finishes sucked. And I used to watch WWF shows, especially the pay-per-view shows. 
And it was like every finish was three-dimensional. It, it just, you, you thought you were seeing the finish. No, you weren't seeing the finish. You were seeing a setup for a finish. And now when, okay, now, now this is, no, this is, this is act two in a three act finish. And <laughs> yeah. now you get to the finish and the, the finish itself was, a, was a journey within a journey. Like the match is a journey of its own, right? You have right. the psychology and the storytelling and all the things that go into match, the anticipation to build up, blah, 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 blah. But then when you get in, you start knocking on the door of the finish then the finish becomes a journey within the journey. And Pat was just amazing at that. Yeah. Total great story. You know, wrestling in a territory like he did for 15 years in San Francisco for Roy Shire. uh, It gave Pat plenty of opportunity to refine his game in ring game and psychological game because they were in the same towns every week. And it, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, nice little driving territory. And he was there a long time. So, uh, I think a lot of those things that he learned to do, uh, episodically on, on TV, co- collaborating with Roy Shire, who was a hell of a booker, I'm, I'm told, uh, was a uh, great practice for what he ended up doing for Vince. Uh, he was just excellent. And he could think two or three shows down the road. He got the talent behind him. The, the talent was, uh, uh, you know, they trusted him. I guess is the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. They trusted him. And they knew that his word, he, and he wasn't trying to get their spot. That's another thing that's kind of, it's been challenging in booking some, somewhere is that the booking guys were ex wrestlers who still believe they had gas in their tank to go out there and draw money, more money than the guy that's are that's booked. And that's, that's a tough thing. Cause now you got wrestlers getting instructions from other wrestlers who really want your job, but they can't say that, but you know, it's just, it's awkward. It's awkward. And Patterson didn't want Patterson didn't want anybody's job, but uh, but he, he I remember when we put him back in the ring doing some stuff with Briscoe uh, as the uh, Stooges. Uh, he enjoyed the shit out of it, and he and he was good. He added things to it. He added stuff to it that you wouldn't think that would would be there. Uh, just phenomenal. He, Patterson was one of the most talented guys all around that I ever worked with. I've always often said that. The, the, I've been very blessed. You know, Heenan was a three three two player. He could wrestle. He could talk. He could manage. Uh, and uh, so was uh, or somebody else I was thinking about uh, there in that in that role. But the bottom line, Pat, Patterson was one of those three two guys. Jerry Lawler's one of those three two guys that can wrestle, can manage, could do commentary, blah blah blah. Uh, and uh, so I've always thought that. Uh, Patterson was in a small group of amazing talents that could do multiple things really, really well. You mentioned Roy Shire, and I know this is off topic, but it's another question. It's why I wanted, I was so excited to do this with you because we have a lot in common, but at the same time, you were in a different world than I was. But Roy Shire is a name that I often heard Vern Gagne talk about, and Vern promoted San Francisco. Right. Often. Do you know what the relationship was between Vern and Shire? Did they like co-promote or what? what I think, uh, well, I think at one time, Eric, uh, Roy Shire was the tag team partner of, uh, Ray Stevens mm. and they both had, uh, trips through the AWA. Uh, they both got bookings from, and they both, when they're still working, Vern used them. So, and then Vern could see this Roy Shire guy had a brain. It's pretty fucking smart. And he proved that for years uh, as the, you know, owner of a territory. 
and producing TV there on channel two in San Francisco. And, you know, he, he had a way of doing things. I heard he was tough. He's a lot like cowboy and cowboy and Roy Shire were, were buddies. There was a click there years ago, a little group that included Vern and Fritz, uh, cowboy, Roy Shire, something might've been one or two others. There were tough guys, legit tough guys that were workers who were in positions to own or call the shots in their territory. And all those guys kind of stuck together. So I heard a lot of Roy Shire stories, but he, he, he ran his, his deal. He, he may have been more stringent than cowboy, quite, quite frankly. And watch could be a no nonsense, uh, hard ass. And, uh, what he wanted to be. And, uh, he, he, he talked about Roy Shire a lot. And then when you talk to guys about Roy Shire, that worked for him, they say he was a tough son of a gun to make happy. Uh, but he would listen. And that's where Patterson got a lot of his stuff. Patterson would suggest things. And Roy Shire knew that Patterson was so valuable as a talent that he didn't want to shit on him. So consequently, Patterson got a lot of uh, his ideas through. And, and then for him, luckily for him, those ideas worked. And, and Shire loved that deal. He's just old school promoters are motivated by one and thing, one thing only. And there wasn't TV or 18 to 49s or 25 to 54s, the numbers. Uh, it was simply, uh, is there an ass over 18 inches? That's the measuring stick. And how many tickets did we sell? You know, so that's, that's, that was the whole deal. It was real simple back in those days. Yeah. It's interesting too. You talk about that click of, of those, uh, aforementioned uh, individuals. And you mentioned, uh, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens and Vern Gagne, uh, had Ray Stevens and Wahoo as bookers when he hired me. And I got to, I got to know Ray Stevens real well and yeah. just cherish that, man. It's one of the things I'm grateful for as well, as well as Wahoo, man. I had so much fun. I was brand new. I was, gr I was so, and I never aspired to get into the wrestling business. I was a wrestling fan growing yeah. up, you know, as yeah. a kid, but it's not like, oh man, someday I'm going to find a way to get a job. And I mean, I literally, it was just snatch me off the street kind of coincidence. <laughs> and then I, and then I walk into it and I'm after, you know, business would wrap her up around five, five thirty in Vern's office. And there was always a refrigerator in a break room. And there was always a 12 pack or <clears throat> two cases of beer in there. And for me <laughs> to be able to sit around with what, now I keep in mind, I went from wrestling fan to working in a wrestling office yeah. over the course of about seven days. I've been there. I've, and, I've been there. I know exactly what you're, you're, you're saying. And, and, and then on the eighth day, I'm sitting in Wahoo's office with Ray Stevens drinking beer at the end of the day, listening to wrestling stories. And Ray also, Ray Stevens also talked a lot about Pat Patterson and Roy Shire. And I guess that's why I wanted to ask you about Roy. Yeah. He was a great booker, but it was his way or the highway. He had a formula and he wasn't going to let anybody talk him out of uh, not executing his formula. Uh, and they drew good money with a small crew. It's amazing. You know, Eric, you, you, these guys are working in the same towns every week and they got a, a roster, a TV or a roster of te television talent that maybe was 14, 16 people total. So the fans saw a lot of the same guys re re repeatedly. So they had to change their matches and continue their story from last week. And how yeah. can we continue to, to do this from last week? And it, that's kind of, that was their MO and they did it so well that, you know, Patterson said, you know, he had 15 great years there, 15 years in a the territory. 
That's wow. pretty damn unheard of. You're, you're a lot of people. Are, that's a big territory. Yeah, and a lot of people are seeing you multiple times in a month. So you got to change up a little bit. You got to change a few wrinkles here, there, and yon. And uh, they were able to do that, but there was just a learning process for those guys. And I'm sure that Vern learned things off Roy. They were friends. They were colleagues. Both tough guys. Uh, so I'm sure that they that that Vern learned a few things from uh, Shire. But they all all those guys took from each other. I know Cal would say this or that. Oh, that was a, Shire used to do this. Or the Battle Royal, Shire used to do this, you know, or blank, blank, blank. Vern was great at building a title match over time, you know. So, uh, you know, it was just a unique time, man, for everybody. And, and we all were kind of playing along and see where it was going to take us. Well, talking about seeing where it's going to take us, Hulk Hogan makes a couple other appearances. I think he fulfills his European tour obligations, but basically he's on his way out. From the time you started in whatever it was, March 9th, uh, 93, to the point where Hulk's now getting ready to leave the company, did you end up ever dealing with him? Did you get any closer to him or work any more directly with him with that time, or was it pretty much not really, the same? Not, not really, Eric. I tried. It just uh, was a tense uh, thing, you know, and I, again, trust was a big issue. He knew I was Vince's guy, and uh, I was going to do what Vince wanted. Cause I want to keep my job and grow with the company. That seemed to be the way to do that was to acquiesce to what the chairman wanted, do good work, come to work on time, you know, bust your ass, all those good things. Uh, so that was kind of where I was. I, 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 I didn't have any, a lot of leeway there, but when I saw Terry, I was always friendly. I was always professional, always accommodating, but I'm not sure that he believed my sincerity was real or what, but it never really clicked in that first go around at all. How about when he did your uh, WWF radio show? I think he was there to promote like Mr. Nanny. Did you, it was great. better or did you, yeah, get, was, did you was, get the famous? Well, that doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> no, he was good. He was good. And he, and he was a good guest. He was talkative. He was informative, entertaining. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised. He had an opportunity on, on uh, my radio show, which was a big deal at that time uh, on WSB, you know, 50,000 watt station, went 37 states. And at night, it was a huge blowtorch signal. And uh, so uh, he knew that he had an opportunity to sell his product. So he's smart marketing wise. So he cut the promo and he talked about his show and he did a few Hulk Hogan isms and, uh, and off we went. So he was a great guest. He really was. Jim, before we go any further, because it's easy for me to get lost in this conversation with you, you know, it's just, first of all, it's great to, you know, talk with you again and spend a minute. Thanks. Yeah, me too, and, Eric. Uh, we're, we're both busy and going in different directions, but it's always fun to hang out with somebody I've known as long and have as much respect for as I do for you. Oh, thank you. Me too. Speaking about respect, brother, props to the team over at AEW and Forbidden Door made yeah. some noise. What were your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I thought that the show was, uh, uh, exceptional. It was long. That would maybe a negative for some people, but the talent worked their asses off. And that to me is where it starts and ends a great effort and, and, and preparation. Uh, guys are taking liberties with each other, which 
you can look at it a lot of different ways. It's not that I, not that you guys get hurt, but you want your talent to, to lay their stuff in and be aggressive and be real. And uh, so uh, we had a lot of show stopping uh, matches and a lot of matches where guys were put on spots to, to, to raise their game. For example, uh, the very unique orange Cassidy, who's a gimmick guy, uh, had a hell of a match with Will Ospreay, who's a much better wrestler than is Orange Cassidy. But we saw that Orange Cassidy could wrestle. He did the honors. He lost the match. So what? Uh, but I uh, just enjoyed the hell out of that show. Uh, they had Tony Khan brought me out to do the main events at the end of the show. I think I did like an hour and a half or something. And that was different for me. It's just starting. I was coming in long relief as a baseball player, so to speak. Uh, and I did the same thing on, uh, on raw then this week or last week. So, uh, I don't know if that's just a Tony thing or that's what he's going to, how he's going to use me. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So, uh, but it was, it was really a good night. Ex exciting night. Great crowd. You know, you got a sellout crowd in the United center at home of the bulls and Michael Jordan and all that stuff. So I, I thought we had a good accomplishment for a million dollar gate. Uh, which for us is great. Uh, it's great for anybody to do a million dollar gate. And so we were, we were really happy about that. So I just wanted to say something, uh, in a, in a positive way, you know, the, we had so many guys hurt and you know how that is. And you got to keep rebooking mm. cars because of injury. It just, it's tough, man. And Tony Khan did a hell of a job of making chicken salad out of chicken shit, uh, with so many guys hurt. And, uh, a lot of the guys rose to the occasion or the aforementioned orange Cassidy, he had a great match with, with Will Ospreay and, and, uh, it should, it can't go without mentioning. And I thought that, uh, you know, uh, John Moxley and, and, uh, Tanahashi had a hell of a, a hell of a show stealer. It's, it's funny guys like you and I will understand this. A lot of folks don't, when you close a show that big, it's that long and that spectacular. Uh, it's hard to do. It's hard to close with something unique and you're telling a different story and how do I get the audience re-engaged, et cetera, et cetera. And Moxley and Tanahashi got to accomplish that. So it was a good show, a good week of TV for AEW. Our roster's young. Everybody's growing. Everybody's learning things. Uh, so, uh, but it was fun. It's fun to be with this team because they're all young and enthusiastic. And they asked, you know, years and years ago, there was this, television personality named Art Linkletter. He had a TV show for years and he wrote a book that was extremely successful because kids say the darndest things. Young wrestlers say the darndest things. <laughs> and so that's part of my charge is to answer those dumb questions. Uh, when I'm there, there I get a, a ton of those questions because I've been around, I'm older and I've seen it happen and so forth and so on. So it's just a fun place to be right now. And I'm really proud of the efforts that the, the team had uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, it's just been extraordinary. So I'm happy for AEW. I'm glad I'm working there. I appreciate Tony Khan's confidence in me, but, uh, uh, we got it. We're our rosters coming along really well, really well. And I'm happy for them. good kids. They're just living their dream. Eric, they're doing once you and I got in the business. We started living our dream too. Once we understood this is where we should be. We, we understood then at some point in this journey, well, I think this might be what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, it's fun for me when I watch, you know, young talent, Orange Cassidy is a perfect example. When I first saw Orange Cassidy come on screen, I went, 
What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And, and within about a month, I was going, huh, I kind of dig this. Yep. And, and cause I, I can still relate to that. I can still relate to being so new in the business where everything is, you know, you, you're just learning every single day you're learning. And then just to watch somebody grow so quickly, it's kind of like I get to get a little bit of a rush living vicariously through them. Yeah. You know, cause I've, I've had my time in the sun like you did yep. and now. Now I think probably both you and I get as much of a kick out of watching somebody else experience that exactly. journey. Yeah. Cause it's a journey. Yeah. And I, and I, watch. De- and I've developed a personal relationship with all those kids, you know, uh, jungle boy and, and orange and, uh, gosh, I mean, so many, I'm I miss names, but, uh, that was, that's been the fun part of this gig because the travel is still the travel. The only yeah. good thing about our travel is that we travel once a week. And it's not like you're on the road two or three days a week and things of that nature. Uh, this past week, you know, I, so do you, we, so, do, so do you get like a private jet shit? I mean, are you on yeah, oh, yeah. Delta? <laughs> oh, okay. So you're, you're still traveling the hard way. I've traveled with Tony a time or two in his jet, but you know, he's all over the place. He's doing NFL stuff and soccer stuff and, and what have you. Uh, so, uh, but I ride commercial and I don't mind you know, what the hell. I said, I drove commercial, except for this period of time I was in the WWF, WWE, and and uh, riding the famous uh, McMahon plane. So that I was, hated uh, that. I hated I that plane. Yeah, it was tough. You I, think didn't it was, the, I didn't mind the flights home because usually, you know, unless it was a really rough night, pretty much everybody was in a decent mood. It's the end of the day. Right. Everybody's drinking wine. The music's cranked up, especially if Shane was on the plane. If Shane McMahon was on the plane, then the music was, we're listening to the fucking ACDC. Very loud morning. Yeah. And everybody's singing along with it. But I was hung out in the back of the plane. It was like me and Missouri and Bruce Pritchard and uh, a couple other, you know, maybe a writer or two. We'd be yeah. in the back eating sushi, drinking wine. I didn't mind it, but man, those mornings, getting there in the morning when man, man comes screaming up in his fucking Bentley, slams on the brakes, does his little like, you know, uh, sl- you know NASCAR slide up right up to the <laughs> stair to the plane and gets out. Of course, he's all tense, ready to go. There's always that tension all the way to the all the way to the yeah. venue. But flying home wasn't bad. But I I, I preferred to fly. I didn't get to fly commercial, but because I always had to fly with Vince, but thank God it only lasted four months, brother. I don't know if I could have done it. <laughs> it's, it was daunting to say the least. It was, all, it was all predicated on what kind of mood he was going to be in. And is he going to be willing to listen to another idea? Is he going to be willing to compromise? Does he hate the show from start to finish? Are we starting all over? Oh. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you get on the plane, you start all over. And the writers have already written this in hours and hours. They've had meetings. They've met with him. They got oh. things signed off on, and all of a sudden, boom! Yeah, you met with him and up until one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, like six I, hours before he had to be to the airport. Right, and he decided and he, he didn't like the show. Like, okay, great. All right, that's it. That's what we're gonna do. And then you have these poor bastard interns are showing up at four o'clock in the morning, printing all this shit off, so it's ready to go to the plane by eight o'clock in the morning. And then you get on the plane, and he wants. And then he says, "No, well, fuck, we're gonna change all that." God damn, I says. Bullshit. Yeah, he, ah. he changed his mind on the drive from his house to the airport in White Plains. It's just, uh, you know, it happened all the time. You just had to be prepared for it. So if you could be prepared for it. 
But that's right, just let's, his get back to, let's get back to Hulk Hogan. You and I will go off right. a whole different. We'll do an entirely different show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, Hogan's been around that now. He's on his way out. He's gone. Yeah. No more Hogan. The trial is going on. That's got to be a whole nother crazy set of drama and crazy. Yep. Yeah. Oh. I don't want to get too much into that. That shit's all been covered a million times. But now Hogan's leaving. He's going to WCW. At some point, that becomes known. Randy comes on your radio show, buries the shit out of Hulk. And I never knew what these guys were going to talk about because we didn't do any pre-interviews. I had no idea what was uh, was going to be Savage's agenda. Uh, And I was very shocked because that wasn't the style of the show. It wasn't a hatchet job show. It was, but Randy uh, changed that a little bit uh, going into business for himself. Why do you think he did that? Why? You know? I guess he was really, really pissed at Hogan more than some people agreed or understood. He wanted to make a point and he made his point. It was not, it was not great. It wasn't, it was a great radio. I don't know. It might've been okay radio, but he just, uh, it just illustrated his total disdain for Hogan. So whatever happened between those two, uh, and with our work, both working for events is, uh, is what it was. But Savage was not going to forget and forgive very easily. Did you have any insight? I mean, what was the, did, did you know? I mean, I, I, I almost feel like a high school kid asking this question, but was it jealousy? Was Liz the issue or was it more business? I think Liz had a, a was an element in this, this issue. I'm not sure how big a role she played, but I think she was in play to some degree. And I think that may have uh, stem from Randy thinking that Hogan and Liz had something going on. I don't know that to be true. I have never had that confirmed and I've never really asked. I really don't care, but the, for whatever reason, it got personal. And so sometimes you can cut the chase to your uh, search for what's going on by going, is there a woman in this equation? And there was a beautiful woman in this equation and uh, she was very unique. And, uh, that love hate she had with Randy was what it was. Uh, so he just, he never trusted Hogan at all for whatever reason. And I've always thought that the common place to start looking at that deal was, uh, was Liz, you know, uh, just, it was just a very uncomfortable situation. And then they weren't to get as best I recall, they weren't together much. Uh, they, they stayed apart quite a bit, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's probably a good thing for all of us. So we're Jim, we're going to like skip forward a lot. Cause now we're going to go right past Monday night wars, Hogan turn the impact that had the reaction to all that. Maybe we'll do that on another show. Cause that's, that's a show into itself really, but we don't see Hogan back in WWE again until February of 2002. Were you party any uh, any of those discussions before reaching out to Hulk? I mean, did you and Vince talk about that at all? Yeah, yeah, of course. We just thought he still had value, Un- unlike some of his peers or his prospective new teammates who thought that it was over. But what they really thought was they didn't want the competition because they knew that he was still over. And the name his name had great value, uh, great name identity. I mean, my God, he's the most famous wrestler in history and he's still walking around and able to do a few things. So, uh, we felt like if he was booked properly and not overexposed, mm-hmm. he had value for us. Uh, it was just a matter of 
where his head was and how, how big a commitment he wanted to make re-entering the game. Cause that's kind of where I saw it. You know, he's getting back in the game after a little hiatus and, you know, he's not a young kid. He's not perfectly healthy. He's had all those back surgeries, as we've mentioned endlessly. So, uh, you know, that was, we were optimistic that that was, it was going to work and he would be a nice, a nicer component to add to the mix. He's Hulk Hogan. He's always going to be Hulk Hogan. And Vince and I understood that. And, uh, that we said that to each other a lot, but a lot of the talents thought he, he can never be the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't, and here's the funny thing about it. We never have asked him to be the same. There's you have to, he had limitations. So be smart, recognize his limitations and book him accordingly. It's not that hard. If you're just willing to, if your talent's willing to acquiesce that they're not perfect and they're not, uh, they have to have a little bit of uh, booking help. A little sizzle need to be added to their formula. Little humility. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But we thought he has, we just seriously thought he could still come in and pop a house or, or, or set something up. And if nothing else, those guys need to understand if you're booked with him, you know, he might be in a situation where you're putting, he's putting you over or you're putting him over, mm-hmm. but you got to work together. And we believe that it was worth the, the experiment was worth the chance. You know, Jim, uh, I just jumped ahead to, to 2002 because that's when Hulk made his way back. But there was a point in time, I think it was around 96 or 97, might have been 97. I remember we, uh, WC Nitro was in Denver and Hulk and I, you know, hung out all afternoon, got along great, shared a dressing room, probably had a couple beers during the evening while we were working. Things were going great. We were on a pretty good roll. And Hulk told me that night, you know, early in the evening, he goes, hey, man, I just want you to know I'm meeting with Vince McMahon tonight. Vince is flying into Denver to meet with me after Nitro. And he said to me, he goes, look, I'm just going to meet with him. I'm going to be here because I think we were up. We were either coming up close to renewing Hulk or at least talking about it. So there was there was a there was a window yeah. of, of opportunity there. And Hulk did his he, he really did convince me that I'm going to meet Vince. Don't worry about it. I'm not going anywhere. Right. Were you a part of that discussion? No, I didn't did know. You know I, about I, I, it? Yeah, but I wasn't part of what, you know, Vince had a, a vision and he had a, he had a thought. He, he thought he, he had this thing down. He thought he had the, the Hulk Hogan conundrum is solved, but uh, he didn't share a lot of that stuff with, with me. And, and so he didn't share a lot of stuff with anybody. He just wanted to get this deal done. And, uh, he was very adamant about, about, about that. And he knew how fickle, uh, a senior wrestlers are senior star wrestlers are, you know, they don't want to ch- change. It's not good for them, at least in their mind's eye. So, uh, but I didn't have, I didn't have a sit down with him before he went to Denver. No. So Hulk, Hulk's back now it's 2002. How weird is it? after you had spent a little bit of time kind of burying Hulk, like everybody else positioning him as an old man. Weird. Yeah. Weird. No, it's, it was weird. And we kept recanting, you know, he was, it was, you know, the billionaire Ted stuff. And then, uh, and Hogan as impersonations are, were not very flattering. Uh, and it was odd. Yeah. It's almost, I was kind of embarrassed, you know, that we'd done so much shit to, 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 to his character for no reason. 
I see, I'm not a big fan, Eric, of putting, uh, if, if I'm running, if I'm on raw, I don't need to see nitro footage or talk about nitro or nothing. I don't need to mention it. It's just, it just felt weird and strange and unnecessary, but we did that all the damn time. And I thought it was wrong from the start. And I still think it's wrong. Yeah. It's a weird thing. And, 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 you know, on my end of that equation, it, it didn't really bother Hulk. You know, I, I, I'm sure for the people in WWF who were doing it, <laughs> um, they probably, Oh man, he's really reacting. Just like they probably thought they were going to get to Ted and Ted laughed. He thought it was funny. The billionaire Ted skits. I think Randy may be in a little more offended and hurt than Hulk. <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> Hulk, Hulk didn't, Hulk didn't really give a shit to be honest. It, didn't phase him, or at least if it did, he didn't sell it. Yeah. Um, but he's good about, you know, over the years, he's been good about no selling things. Yes, indeed he was. Yeah, he wouldn't sell it, but he wouldn't forget it either, right? Right. Correct. Yeah, I'm not going to sell it for you, brother, but I'll never fucking forget it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so Hogan's, Hogan's, he's around for a minute. We're, we're talking about 2002. You, you know, Brock, or excuse me, uh, Rock, Hogan. Talked to a lot about that on your podcast. Uh, abrupt end, man. After losing to Brock Lesnar, boom, he's gone. How weird is that? It's, it's uh, hard to swallow. It's just, it seems wrestling is better with Hogan in it. And for us at that time, I thought that anyway. I thought he would help our roster. Did you, did you see it coming? Did you have a sense? I had a little sense that he was not happy with his positioning. He wanted to be the guy, the one and only guy. And we weren't in a position to make that commitment because we did have rock. We did have Lesnar and, you know, Austin in and out the, the injuries and so forth. So our triple H was getting hot. Mick Foley had, was drawing some doing well. So, uh, we had other guys that we had to build, continue to build. And he wanted to be the guy. And I don't think it was ever intended for him to be the guy, which is hard for a guy that was the man in the whole business, uh, to swallow sometimes. It's a little bit like Randy, I think, in a way. And, and I, I kind of understand this. You know, I've, obviously, I've never been in a position like Randy or Hulk or Rock or anything like that. But I think you and I both have been around enough people that have been in those positions that we understand that in their minds, they can still do this shit. Oh, yeah. In their minds, they're still 25 and 30. In their minds, they what they can do out in the ring is still more than enough to maintain those positions because you don't see yourself the way the audience sees you. Right. It's it's kind of like, you know, walking by a mirror, you know, you don't, you don't quite see the same image in the mirror that other people see. <laughs> that's you know? right. And it's a tough thing for performers. I think that's why so many professional athletes, you know, just have a hard time retiring. Right. You don't need the money. You know, Floyd Mayweather they doesn't need the money, but they need the fame. Just, they need the adulation. He just loves the juice. Yeah. It's yeah, the rush right. of it all. It's hard to get that needle out of your arm. There's no other way to get it. No, so they keep doing it. Keep doing it. So Hogan comes back. When does he come back in February of 2003? What were your thoughts about him coming back? Hopeful that we would catch lightning in a bottle. It, it was it worth a gamble. We thought so but we weren't sure what we were going to get. A lot of it was always going to depend on his two things, his attitude and his health. Mm -hmm. And so, and the attitude you didn't know until you got there, 
and the health was something we knew we just had to deal with. And that was a matter of monitoring his, how he worked, how often he worked, who he worked with, et cetera, et cetera. That's why a lot of people thought we spoke of earlier about the match that, he, that Hogan had with, with, uh, uh, Kurt angle. It was two polar opposites, but they ended up having a good match because they told a viable story. Uh, but that was what you got to, you're always curious about. Can Hogan still have those matches? And he answered that question. He could have those matches. And uh, I was always happy for him and proud of him that he, he came through when a lot of people thought that he didn't have it left and he had plenty do you, left. Do you think he came through? He, I mean, he came back to set up the rematch with rock, uh, no way out. Um, and then went on to Russell Vince at WrestleMania 19 Seattle. Um, do you think he lived up to the hype? Do you think Hogan yep. lived up to the expectation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he did. The match that Hogan had with rock at WrestleMania 18 in Toronto was pretty classic. To be honest with you, you know, Lawler and I had Hogan was a heel going into it. Rock was the, uh, the young full of P and V baby face. So we're sitting, we're in our spots ready to put them in those two positions. And all of a sudden you hear the music for Hogan and you'd think that the, uh, I, I always often compare it that Hogan fans are like Eagles fans, not Philadelphia Eagles, but the, uh, rock group, the Eagles, yeah. they, they just want to hear hotel California one more time. God, that's one, the truth. Isn't it? That is the best way to say it, brother. You you're right on the money. They want, they, they want a leg drop and a Hulk up and, and some of his traditional things. Uh, but they want Hotel California that one more time. And if they could hear that, they'll be happy. But isn't that true with Steve Austin and Ric Flair? Yeah. Undertaker. I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. John Cena now. I mean, people, you know, it's so funny. And I, I get frustrated to the point of almost being angry, but I talk myself out of it. Is, you know, wrestling fans are so fickle in the sense that they'll be so anti legends, right? I can't believe they're so reliant on bringing this guy back. Or I can't uh, believe yeah. they're bringing this guy in. He's too old. Blah, blah, blah. But man, the, the audience, not, not the little, you know, microcosm of people that bitch about shit on Reddit or write about stuff and think they're smart. But I'm talking about the, the people that just love to watch wrestling because it's an escape and it brings them a sense of joy and fun. Man, when you bring back a Hulk Hogan or you bring back a John Cena or you bring back a Steve Austin, that's exactly what you're saying. It's, you hit it right on the head. They just want that feeling that they had the first time they heard Hotel exactly. California or that's the first it. time they got laid while they were listening to Hotel <laughs> California. Yeah. That's, what, that's the deal, man. It, they don't want to see a whole show, but, man, it feels good to go back and visit that one more time. Yeah, that's right. And, and ironically, I, when we were in Vegas – three or four weeks ago for a pay-per-view AEW pay-per-view, uh, out there. Uh, we saw the Eagles in concert. They were, oh, they were playing in Vegas on the Saturday night while we were there. The pay-per-view was on Sunday. We had TV on uh, Wednesday and Friday. And then, uh, that, that was an off night. So, uh, Dan Lambert, who owns America's top team, one of our guys, uh, he got, he, he's so hooked up all the casinos for siders that he got, got us some tickets. Raphael Morphy and I went along with Tony Chimmel and, uh, Mike Kyoto and they had never seen the Eagles in concert and they were blown away. It's like they were saying, or what's this? What I guess a lot of people say, I knew the words to every song. Yeah. 
So they, they, so they recognize the leg drop. They recognize the big boot. They recognize the, you know, uh, Hulk hulking up the, the same deal. It's the same theory. And, uh, so it was kind of ironic to use that as an example. And cause I'm a big uh, Eagles fan. I, uh, you know, my late wife, Chan and I saw them multiple times. We both loved them. We went through the Glenn Fry years and now the dot, the, uh, the, uh, What's the guy's name? Oklahoma Vince Gill years. Who's absolutely phenomenal. I thought when they lost Don Henley, they say, you can't replace these guys. You, you can replace anybody if they're good. And, uh, Vince Gill's really good. So that's kind of what I, I saw that deal. <clears throat> and we're deviating too far down the rabbit, the rabbit hole of rock and roll music. But, uh, I think that's a good example for Hogan. He's got yeah. those hits. Uh, he's got gold records on the wall as Joe Walsh would say. And, uh, and he's a, he's a classic. And, and you know what the Eagles in, in whatever configuration, I think Glenn Fry's son is now, he was on uh, there for a while. He, he left, but he, 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 he went on a rodeo for, for a year or two after his dad died and now he's on his own. So, uh, but you know, they still got an all-star team. They still got Timothy B. Schmidt. They still got Glenn Fry and maybe the most important element of all, they still got Joe Walsh. Yep. And, and, uh, so they, they still got their band and they're still very good and entertaining. And they could, and they could, they could make up their mind tomorrow morning that they want to tour again and they would be selling out in their current configuration in any venue they decided to book. Yeah. And we felt the same, some of the same characteristics of personality characteristics for Hulk. Mm-hmm. He's a legend and some people will buy a ticket to go see him to take a kid and they can show that kid who their hero was when that, when they were the kid's age. So I thought that was pretty, I thought they, I think that's pretty cool and, and illogical. I think that's right. A lot of people say this is the guy daddy loved. So, you know, and I, I think there's something to be said for that too. Before we get, cause we're going to have to wrap this up here in another couple of minutes, but I want to yep. speed up just a little bit talk about a couple bullet points, I guess, at this point, um, as we're kind of going through now, Hogan's, uh, return to WWE leaves WWE comes back to WWE. We got this Mr. America character. I, I hated it when I saw it, I was embarrassed by it for Hogan that he was doing it, but I also knew it was probably his idea, or at least he was excited about it. Cause he loves that kind of okay, corny shit. Um, was that, Vince's idea was yeah. Hulk's idea. Whose idea was that? I think it was a collaborative effort, Eric, between the two. But Vince certainly supported it and liked it. Thought it was entertaining. <laughs> he laughed. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so that's kind of that deal. But yeah, but we he, thought he, he blows out the door again. Presumably, I don't even know. I never asked him. I never paid any attention to the the dirt sheets or whatever. But supposedly, it's because of pay. Was it a pay issue? Apparently, uh, I've always said this, uh, when talents get uh, unhappy or they want to leave or they do leave or, or whatever, it's usually one of the two C's cash or creative. And, uh, most of the issues I've dealt with in my lifetime as an administrator, uh, the, the two C's always played a part in it, cash or creative. You didn't like your booking. You didn't like your place on the card. You didn't like your character. You didn't like how you're being used. That's creative cash speaks for itself. You weren't making enough money for what you felt like your contributions were. So cash and creative got us again. And, uh, you know, Vince is in a situation where 
it wasn't where you could just blow up the payroll to take make sure Hulk was taken care of because we had that deal with a lot of guys that were making big money and, and we're used to making big money and we couldn't rob Peter to pay Paul. So Hogan's payoff was legit based on what was being drawn. And, uh, that wasn't good enough for him apparently. Well, and I'll be honest. I don't think that that was necessarily the, the case early on. I think, I think Vince took care of, Oh yeah. Of Hulk early on in, in ways that weren't necessarily relative to what he really drew. Um, just keep him happy. Yeah. Keep him happy. And, and that was a, an ongoing full-time gig, keeping Hulk happy. So Hulk's gone now. He's noticeably absent at WrestleMania 20 hall of fame. I've always described, cause I, I used to hear, man, you know, I, I first started working with Hulk in 93, negotiating with him, but 94 we're working together. And I spent a lot of time with Hulk personally, professionally. Yeah. Um, and everything in between. And I, er, I learned early on that there was a weird love hate relationship between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon that I am confident. I'm a 100% confident as I sit here and talk to the man. I respect the voice of professional <laughs> wrestling. When I say to you, I am a hundred percent confident that that love hate relationship exists to this very moment. Just based on a conversation I had with him the other day. But he's he's gone, WrestleMania 20, boom, persona Nagrata, up, and then he's back the following year. He's inducted into the Hall of Fame in Los Angeles. What do you remember about that? Vince kept keep Vince kept trying to create a relationship. And maybe I should have better said he kept trying to recreate yeah. the dynamic that Vince had with Hogan. Hence all the second chances and next starts and Hall of Fames, and here's another reason we can bring him back, et cetera, et cetera. So this kept trying to, to accomplish what you said earlier, that ideal, that idyllic like relationship that they had once had. Mm-hmm. And, and they both probably were not willing to say we can never have it the way we used to, but we could have it better than we have it now if we both try. And that was always the, where the jury was out. Well, they, you know, or, or is, is this going to work out or are we going to get to where we want to be? Are we all, or is somebody in this equation willing to compromise something? And that was what the issues were compromise. Cause again, you get to compromise and you change things and a talent says, well, the compromise is making me look weak. So, you know, but you got to give it a chance. If the glass is always half empty, it's always going to be half empty. Yeah. And so you got to look at it differently. And, uh, that's kind of, I felt bad for Vince at times because he really wanted the relationship to get back on a somewhat of an even keel. It may never be like it used to be, but he wanted to make it better than it is. And, uh, I'm not sure we ever accomplished that. What did you think about Hogan's match with Shawn Michaels? Pleasantly surprised. I thought Sean took some liberties. I thought Sean was a little lighthearted and being a wise ass at times in that, in that situation. But the Michaels ego was such that he cannot have a bad match that reflects negatively on him. And that certainly would have, I thought the match was pretty damn good, quite frankly. And Michael's had to gear it back a little bit because of the pace of Michael's pace and Michael's pace and Hogan's pace were entirely different. It's much like uh, Kurt angle and, and the Hogan match we talked about. Uh, it was just different. Uh, and the tasting was different. The psychology was different. So I, I thought that they had a, had a good match. 
And I thought, and I was not surprised that it was a good match because of the egos involved. Michaels didn't want to, Michaels want to go out there and say, Hey, I had this great match with Hogan. Can you, I can't, I'm good. And that's kind of where I saw that, that situation. But it was, it was the match that had to be booked. And there's the new it boy versus the legend it had to be booked at some point. You just hope that the damn thing was going to be a good, a good solid match. And thanks to the professionalism, of both guys and Hogan had reasons to be wary because Sean has taken this thing very lightheartedly. You got an eyeball rolling on working with Hogan tonight, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just a different generation, generational thing, man. And, and good young guys like Sean at that time need to realize you wouldn't even be here in this position, making all this money. if It hadn't been for a guy named Hulk Hogan steering, steering the course. And uh, a lot of guys don't want to admit that they were jealous and they didn't want to give Hogan the credit that he deserved. I always gave him the credit that he deserved. I really did. Whether I liked his style of wrestling, Hogan has a formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cowboy Bill Watts, he come out of retirement once, once a year, <laughs> had a formula. Uh, you know, you, you just JYD when he wrestled, he had a small move set, but he had a formula and it worked for him. So, uh, Hogan had a formula and there's nothing wrong with that. It worked and it worked real well. Formulas do work. Yeah. In professional wrestling on small and large scales. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make any more editorial comments. Don't want anybody <laughs> to get chapped ass over anything I say on this particular episode. But let me ask you, Jim, my opinion watching that, and you know, I was behind the scenes a little bit, kind of saw a little bit of the handwriting on the wall. You think Shawn Michaels intentionally oversold to make yeah. it look bad? Yeah. I Is do. that professional in your opinion? No, no. It's he did it because he could. And he was one of those guys that didn't have a lot of confidence of Vince bringing Hogan back. And there were others, but Sean was one of them at that time. At least that's what I, I lost. I lost a lot of respect for Sean Michaels that night. I really did. Yeah. It was unnecessary. It, yeah. just, it just showed everybody that he could, he did it because he could, and he knew Vince wasn't going to do anything about it. Let's let everybody watching along with us here. If they are on ad free shows, take a look at this match. See what you think.
cut this one short. Jim, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you letting me sit in. Oh, hell, you're great. Conrad. Um, we got a couple quick questions here. For, oh, and then okay. We're going to have to run. Got it. Um, this one from uh, off of Instagram, a wrestling historian at let's go back to WCW. How would you have booked Hulk Hogan's retirement match? Thanks in advance. Hashtag ask JR. Well, I would have had a slow build and I'd have put him over. Simple. I'd have built it wherever, whoever he was going to have this retirement match with would have been a, a elongated story where we connected the dots. And at the end of the day, we put Hogan in jeopardy somehow, some way, either at the match in the match or before the match. But at the end of the day, uh, the Hulkster got his hand raised and, and uh, with a big celebration, simple deal. Don't overthink send, it. Send them home. Happy. Don't overthink yeah, it. That's I love it. that simple works. Yeah. Simple works. One more quick one. This is from K tank Zamora. Uh, JR, in your opinion, is it better for someone like a Randy Orton to be in a match with Hogan and lose just to say they were in the ring with Hogan, or if you know, Hogan has to go over, is it better for them not to have the match and potentially lose all that momentum? Wow. Uh, good question. I, uh, I just believe in if you, the key thing is at having a good match That's the, at, at the sentence ends in having a good match. Randy Orton can have a good match with anybody and Orton, it, you know, the, the, the worry I always was brought up, Eric, is that if you're a good enough worker, you know how to, uh, lose and maintains mm -hmm. your integrity or, you know, how to win and build your integrity. And I, I always thought Hogan had that ability to do that, but uh, I would have booked uh, Hogan, uh, I would I, I think we overexposed him just a little bit, uh, because he, he was trying to do more and, and, uh, change his game up a little bit when he didn't need to, but that's because he's getting so much TV time, so much TV exposure. There's only so many things you can do with that. So, uh, I, I would say he needed to be seen less and, uh, and, but I thought we did a good job of selecting his opponents. He had guys that he trusted to a degree that he could have a good match with. And the Shawn Michaels thing, the Shawn Michaels overselling and not taking it seriously was simply a matter that Shawn didn't want to do the job. Right. That's all that is. Yep. Well, I wonder what that was about. Well, it was about him putting over Hogan. He it's didn't want to do it. It's his ego. Yeah. Ego. You got it. Jim, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you again. You know, and <coughs> Thank for, you, Eric. For any of the AEW talent that's listening out there, uh, there might be one or two still. Um, well, they're listening to your show. They're just not listening to mine, but take advantage of this guy, Jim Ross, just go to him, pick his brain. You know, um, you can learn a lot. I learn I a lot every that. time I talk to you, Jim. Thank you. I for appreciate that. I, uh, and also you can also remember to, uh, visit my website, jrsbbq.com and uh, pick yourself up some barbecue sauce or some seasoning or ketchup or mustard, whatever you, whatever you like, but we got some great picking stuff, father's day gifts things of that nature. It's real simple. JRSBBQ.com. And we'll take good care of you. Simple as that. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.